Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are going through Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs one minute at a time. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And I'm Kestra Dorowski. And we have with us for the last time today on this film, Jackie. Hola, todos. That means hello to everyone. <laughs> I okay. thought so. I didn't think it had to do with Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> but we're talking about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, not the Wizard of Oz. Fair point. And we're talking about Minute 80, which begins with snow falling. Not Snow White falling, but white snow falling. And the text about a glass coffin. And it ends with a pastoral scene of the dwarfs and animals kneeling by said glass coffin. Yes. So the words that are are on the screen say they fashioned a coffin they being the dwarfs fashioned a coffin of glass and gold and kept eternal vigil at at her side. I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> but that's what it says. And then what's the next set? And of then text? the next one because it changes again it changes, into spring, yes. mind you. So I assume they've been keeping vigil for some portion of a year at this point. Yes. Um, And it says, the next one with the spring background says, The prince, who had searched far and wide, heard of the maiden who slept in the glass coffin. And then what did he do? He starts singing one song. Yes, we do hear him singing. Who is the voice actor for the prince? Harry Atwell. Let me double check. Stockwell. Harry Stockwell. Harry Stockwell. I remembered. Um, I I find his voice more annoying than Snow White's. I don't like hearing him sing. I don't, like, it does not work for me. I'm not the best. Mostly I can't understand I, the words of the song. That's what I was about to say. I was glad that there were subtitles, so I was like, oh, those are the words. Mostly he's singing one song. <laughs> those are most of the words. And, and, he, uh, at the and end there's of, a chorus with it, which... Yes. Did not happen with Snow White's songs or no. the dwarf singing. No. So it's interesting that his is the song that gets this. And he had a portion of the song in the beginning when he was with yes. Snow White at the well. But, yes. Um, yeah, I don't... I mean, it doesn't bother me as much as Snow White's vibrato. I like Snow White's voice better. But that's because I'm a classically trained musician who... <laughs> Cannot stand her vibrato, which is more of a tremolo than anything. Fair point. Yeah. Jackie but... is in agreement. What? <laughs> Big surprise. Um, so in on the text that comes up at the beginning of this minute, they have a massive space between the comma and the word. And they just... They're so inconsistent. It's frustrating. And guys... I don't What's think... What's going on? Maybe they didn't have editors on their staff. They had animators. I feel like they had somebody with words experience. Do you think Walt would have caught it? I don't know what Walt's background with, like, text was. With mm-hmm. writing and education. Not a lot. And yeah, he I dropped mean, out of high school freshman year. I was going to say, he, he, as was typical, or is typical with, you know, many of the quote-unquote great minds and most successful people in entrepreneurial enterprises, probably a dropout at some point. Freshman year of high school. Leading the charge on the Steve Jobs and uh, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg style of success. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But for the most part, he dropped out to help with the war. Right. At that point. Which you haven't talked about. What he did for the war. You haven't brought any of that up during our discussion. Let's talk a minute about Walt. Walt himself uh, tried to... No, this would be World War I, obviously. Yes, yes. He tried to join the war, but he was too young. Um, And so after a couple years of trying or something... And he was helping his family out on their farm as well at this point. But after a, a couple years, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, he joined some form of, like, first aid ambulance um, driving and stuff for the war. So he wasn't on the battlefield Mm -hmm. entirely. He was helping with wounded soldiers. Mm -hmm. But he was supporting um, in World War I. Yes. Before coming back and doing all his cartooning and setting up the studio and things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. A little little tidbit about Walt. Walt's pretty great. He made this movie, so we're kind of fans. It's a good movie. Without him, we would not be here... Doing this podcast. ...talking about Disney. Wearing Mickey Mouse ears that you cannot see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Including a set of Snow White Mickey Mouse ears, which are really great. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're wonderful, and I'm enjoying wearing them. <laughs> I really feel like what they're going for is saying it's a year because in this sequence, in this minute, the dwarves um, come to the coffin, which we know they've been, somebody's always been set to guard it, which is consistent with the Grimm's version. Um, There was always one dwarf guarding it. So they sacrificed, like, work in the mine to guard Snow White in the coffin. But they come and they give flowers, they, like, present flowers, and the animals present flowers. And then they open the coffin and put some flowers in her hands. Yes. Um, so I feel like this is supposed to be a year since she quote-unquote died. And there are several flowers already there yeah, around they, they the Yeah, they keep coffin. this, like, taken care of, apparently, because there's lots of flowers. Like, it's set up on, like, a table of flowers, and then there's a tree there that is flowering over her. And yes. And as... So the... Animals come forward first. Two deer and two rabbits, or a rabbit and a squirrel? Yeah, rabbits. I thought it was two rabbits. Rabbits. And they lay flowers down, and then the dwarfs follow them um, and lay flowers down mm-hmm. next to her. And and then they open the... I, don't, I can't remember which, which, which dwarfs it was. There were two dwarfs that opened the lid. And it kind of seemed like... It was almost on a hinge that they might have been. Doc was one of them. I think Doc, I think you're right. I think Doc, Doc was, was one of them. I feel like Sneezy was the and other. Sneezy? Sneezy? But I don't or, know. Was it Happy? Sneezy I don't think so. I would have noticed Happy, probably. I but Grumpy remember. is the one who put the flowers in her in, hands. In her hands. Yes. Oh, and the coffin like has the word Snow White written into it. Which is beautiful. And it's really, it, like, it's a lovely design that they did for the coffin. It is a little interesting. It's an atypical design for a coffin because it, she's not set into the coffin. The The glass portion is entirely on top of her, and she lays flat and level it's with like all a, of the edges. almost like a table. Yeah, so it's on. more like a table with a lid than right. what you would think of as a typical coffin, coffin. Where they're kind of deep in and the edges are yeah. raised. And then the lid um, comes over the top. Mm-hmm. And then as the 
I forgot, but as the animals were laying the the flowers down by the by the uh, ca- casket, there's petals falling. And for a moment, I thought it was petals falling from the tree above her, but it's, it's actually birds the birds that are some. dropping some petals. And I felt yeah. like that was. I like that touch a lot because birds brought flowers into the cottage initially. Right. So I think it's a nice touch to have birds carrying flowers. That's what I was going to say. Oh, sorry. I stole it from you. <laughs> it's, it's okay. You can steal it from me. Um, but in in the book, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, a creation of a classic, There's a, it talks about this morn, morning saying, morning, M-O-U-R-N. Mm-hmm. Um and it talks about how in the Grimm's version, her her coffin was placed on a mountaintop. Mm-hmm. Is that true? With I, your... I, I think so. I think they... Uh, but I always kind of pictured it the way it is in here, where it's sort of a hilltop in the forest. Yeah, here it's a hilltop. But in the play, the 1912 play that was um, by Winthrop Ames... Uh, he originally had a forest setting like the one in the film, almost on a hill and like with trees mm-hmm. around her, but it was like a play version. And but he cut it out because he cut out this whole morning scene of them laying flowers and everything out because he felt it was too uh, distressing for his younger audience members that he was aiming for. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was interesting to say, considering that this is a Disney film, and most people think Disney is for the younger audience, mm-hmm. and yet they kept it in. Well, and I think, I mean, just because it's for a younger audience doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. going to avoid evoking emotions. I mean, sure. like, lots of Disney films have these sad moments, and like... A good story is going to make people feel these emotions. Like, if they get kids to cry because they're sad about Snow White, they are doing a good job at storytelling and getting people to feel what this story is about. So I think that's effective. Um, And I think Walt maybe balances it out from being distressing to just being sad. I don't... Like, that's the best I can come up with. I, I can't imagine the play being... You know, having this sequence be dark and distressing is like, it's an appropriate morning moment. But also, um, I mean, not to get crazy about death and war, 1912 is a pre-war play and 1930s is a post-war film. And the, the, I mean, the Great War had occurred. And death was something that people were familiar with in a different way than they had ever been before um, in, in modern years. You know, it, it had been decades since any kind of war approaching it. And, and frankly, no war had ever approached what World War I did right. as far as equa- um, acquainting people with death and destruction and, um, and war. Um, it had all the modern technology of, of guns and larger artillery. Going into it, it had chemical warfare with gas and and things like that. And it also had um, mass communication. And so people were being informed of death in a much less intimate way than they ever had been before. So I can totally imagine that a uh, pre-World War I play talking about children 
being familiar with death and mourning, um, would say, you know, that's a distressing topic and, and it could be really upsetting and it would, you know, people wouldn't want to bring children to it or children would have a bad experience with it. But in a post-World War One where, you know, more than likely they at least had known someone um, who had died or heard stories about or saw news or heard news about um, death, it changes the, the perspective significantly, you know, if you if you mm-hmm. look at it in that context of, of those um, 25 years mm-hmm. of difference. I believe that Disney's main goal throughout his life also was that he didn't necessarily only want to aim to, like, a young child audience. He mm-hmm. wanted to reach all ages. So I think that's also another reason why he maybe included that scene, because if that playwright was looking to aim to the younger generation, then of course that scene would maybe be a little bit distressing for the younger ages. But with Disney, he wanted everybody to be able to relate to it somehow and the adults included. Yeah. And I mean, there's definitely a balance set because guess what? Children in the thirties don't buy tickets. Their parents buy tickets. So they need to have a film where, the child is going to be able to either be sent by their parent or be brought by their parent. And so it has to make sense to adults. Yes. And to avoid, especially for adults after World War I, um, to avoid a mourning sequence isn't going to work because they're like, well, she died. Why didn't they experience her death? Because adults in the 30s almost all would have experienced mourning. Right. You know, the, the somebody, at least from where they lived or someone they knew, or if not a close family member, a more distant family member, you know, these were experiences that they had had. Mm-hmm. And I think as a post-war film, it's very different in how it can discuss death because it had been brought up and discussed in the formal sense with, you know, real world consequences. And now it was able to be brought up in in film as part of the healing process. I mean, this is a thing we go through with films. Is There's topics that aren't broached, and then is something happens in the real world, and then part of the healing process is it being dealt with in, in film in a healthy way, and a sensitive way. And I think this is a, a good, healthy, sensitive way to deal with mourning and death. Like it, Walt does a good job. People feel it appropriately throughout this sequence. The dwarfs are feeling it appropriately and it's a good example of it. Um, it's not, it's not a damaging portrayal of it. It's not, um, a disregard for it. I think it's suitably presented. And I mean, this isn't necessarily, um, relevant to the, to the war. It's just one of the things I think of Mm -hmm. as the contrast between something from 1912 and something from 1938, um, is like, what's the big thing that's happened between those is the great war, which they said, there would never be anything like it. And unfortunately, not that far from 1938, we get into World War II, which is a whole different situation. Um, and it, it, I'm sure, affects Disney films in a way that we'll explore as we go through other films later. But just in this first one, I think they're dealing with a very different kind of audience mm-hmm. than 1912 presented. Agreed. 
Do you think that the song, one song, and knowing that it's the prince singing and he's on his way to come find Snow White, could have anything to make it a little more cheerful than just a little bit of a mournful? I think the song still sounds mournful Yeah. in this sequence. It, it doesn't sound like a hopeful song, necessarily. It sounds like a love song, but it could just as easily be a love song for someone you've loved and lost. Yeah. Um, instead of someone you are... Loving and coming to rescue. Because yeah. nothing about it is especially... Um, I don't I don't want to say it's not uplifting, because it's a sweet song. And and love, the way he's singing about, is um, neutral as it pertains to life and death. You know, it's still a nice love song, even if you were singing it to her as someone who's died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I don't know if that makes a difference for me. I like. I'm surprised at how much it it still sounds like a like a somber and solemn song in this context. And in this context, they added a chorus to it. If you're paying attention, mm-hmm. there's a chorus also singing along with the prince. So I feel like that adds another like a kind of a church choir yeah. type feel to it. So it's very solemnized yeah. throughout this whole sequence, which is interesting because. I wouldn't have thought about it, but like I don't think they've put it in a different key or a different tune at all no. to the the original one he sang um, with Snow White. So I think it's just how good they've or how well they've they've established the tone of this sequence. And I mean, maybe it's actually a really impressive song that they've managed to make fit these two very different sequences where. One is them meeting for the first time, and the second one could be interpreted as him seeing her for the last time. You know, seeing her gone. And it's and it's the same song, which is surprising that it works as a serenade and then as a as a a, a eulogy. Okay. I I like that. And I agree with it. Which part? <laughs> well, all all of it. That the especially how it it doesn't really change the the atmosphere from a to from mourning to mm-hmm. to a little bit happier. Even though, if you know why the prince is coming and what's going to happen with the prince coming, right? It, but I I don't think it changes it at all, um, and. It being, it also being, could be interpreted as a eulogy kind of song. Yeah. And I think, I think this is pretty consistent with most of the classic um, Disney films where Walt was working on it, where the endings aren't, I mean, they are uplifting and they're positive, but I think most of the time the music is more or less like this, this sort of angelic uplifting, this, this um, religious uplifting kind of style instead of a peppy, upbeat, jazzy kind of uplifting that you'd get in the, in like the, the fifties and sixties and seventies more. And even, um, more so when you get into the Renaissance, when they do the finale, it's a big number. It's, um, you know, it's, it's an orchestral number and this is a very small, like, and I don't think it changes much by the end of the film where they're, when they get to the castle in this one and I'm thinking of Cinderella and I'm thinking of Sleeping Beauty and like they just say that everything's worked out and it's fine and you know it 
And they've got kind of this this heavenly um, positivity about it all. Whereas later on in, in the Renaissance, you get this kind of... I mean, like, like think about Hercules. That final number is set in a heaven. You know, it, it's set in, in the environment with the gods and everything. And it's, but it's a gospel number. And again, a church, a, like a, a church religious um, sort of arrangement, but that's a very jazzy gospel uh, finale, as opposed to this one, which is a very uh, medieval, almost Gregorian finale of music. So they're still like dipping into this religious basis for, for joy and uplifting and, and, um, and all of that for the finale. But it's very different between the classic Disney's and the the Renaissance stuff. Um, I'm also thinking about like Little Mermaid. They have that big it's, song it's, during the wedding. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big song. It's a loud song. It's a full orchestra kind of thing. And then Beauty and the Beast is maybe a little closer to the classic Disney, where I think it's a a little bit of a reprise of Beauty and the Beast, the song, um, to the dancing and everything, which is very Sleeping Beauty. Um, finale, um, more than it is a, a Snow White, but I'd say it's still bigger than what you're getting with Snow White and Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, Agreed. where they have this sort of small, intimate closing to the film where they they play the nice music and you know everything's worked out and you know it's happily ever after, and it's a very peaceful happily ever after, where. They've kind of had these attacks of tragedy. It, like with Snow White, I mean, she's been attacked and threatened for days. And then she she ate the apple and it was going to be bad. And then the queen died. And it's still bad for Snow White. And then it gets resolved. And you're just so happy to even just have her awake that it doesn't matter. Whereas in the Renaissance, you get these more aspirational things where it's like, no, Ariel doesn't go... Like, it's not that she's had tragedy and is getting back to status quo. It's like, no, she needs to have her legs. Like, it's it's her dream. It's what she wanted. And Beauty and the Beast, like, the Beast has to be resolved. And it, like, it's going for these higher goals and loftier goals. And I think the music reflects that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I'm coming up with this stuff as we're talking about it right now. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to make that work. But I, I'd say for the most part, they're going for these higher, like, I have dreams, I have goals, I have aspirations. And when that is achieved, then everything is amazing. And with Snow White and um, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, it's like, no, these people have been under attack. Mm -hmm. And now that is resolved. And they are at peace with a relatively mundane status quo compared to what you get in the Renaissance films, where it's this, you know, very grand and epic um, and intense change of status quo. And it's like, Snow White basically what her status quo should have been the whole time. She's a princess. She's royalty. She's no longer under attack. That's a good baseline, but she was being oppressed and attacked and was kept from her status quo. Whereas Ariel, she has a good status quo at the beginning of the film. And then by the end, it has to be raised to the status quo of her dreams. Um, and I think if you compare the music, it reflects that. Whereas Snow White, you're getting this good baseline, good, positive, but gentle music. And Little Mermaid has the, the big, you know, strong, powerful fireworks kind of thing. It's like Snow White doesn't end with fireworks. It ends with just a better castle than what she had. It's, it's a golden castle, but it's largely similar as a castle. 
And it's more like, this is the baseline she should have had, and she didn't get that because she was under attack by a jealous mother-in-law. Yeah. Not mother-in-law. Mother. Stepmother. Stepmother, whatever. Stepmother. (laughs) Hopefully her mother-in-law is a lot nicer and better to her. (laughs) But she was under attack by a jealous stepmother. Sorry. I got all these relationships floating around in my head. It's all good. Um, so I hope some of that made sense. I was kind of just spitballing for like eight minutes to, <laughs> to try and piece it together. But I think if you compare, you know, the first classic Disney full-length film with Snow White to Little Mermaid, you get kind of the baseline difference between yeah. the Renaissance and the classics, which is uh, the classics are dealing with people who are suffering and under attack. I mean, Snow White is under attack from her stepmother. Cinderella is under attack from her stepmother. Sleeping Beauty is under attack from... Uh, Maleficent, and these are people who are good and innocent and are under attack from wicked people. And then you get, like, The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and, um, and, like, we'll go with Hercules. As, um, I mean, Hercules might not technically be Disney Renaissance, it might be, like, the next stage out, but, um, who are seeking a different status quo. Like, not that they're particularly oppressed. Typically, they have relatively nice lives, but they they want more. Which is, I mean, it's a trend that you, you see in the Disney films through the 90s and 2000s. And even in, in Moana, it's a song that was cut out, where she says, I want more than what I've got. And it was removed. Which I think maybe they're trying to take some notes from the classics and say, what if... What if it is important to have, you know, people who are content with good things who only have to act when necessary or, or things like that? And, I mean, this is a, turning into a much bigger thesis about, you know, the trends of Disney films and comparing the Renaissance to the modern films to, to the classic films and things like that. And then we could get into the war films and, and, and then the, the Don Bluth era and all that sort of stuff. But it's not what we're getting into right now. Um, but I like this kind of pleasant... This is a simple how Snow White's life should have always been, except that she had one negative force acting upon her, um, preventing it. And now that force is gone and everything's resolved. And I like it. And I like the way the music is gentle and it could have been almost content with her dying justified. But then it's like, but no, she deserves a chance to live this good life. I like it. Okay. I like your brain. I like it. I've pieced something together. Uh, I don't have any other notes. (laughs) I have nothing to say. I did did not think that was going to go anywhere. You went way beyond what I was, like, thinking about. I hope it says coherent as I remember it being, but I might have to make some edits. (laughs) But I I liked it, and... um, We still have to talk about it for three more minutes, so I hope I I can still piece that together, but But I might come back to this. That, it, it... it ends with just uh, we don't even see the prince yet. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we we just hear him. for all we know he's not even showing up yeah. um, for the end of the film. He could just be singing his song. But that's how this minute ends. Yes, you'll you'll get more next, next week. week. But this is Jackie's last Aww. day. We are we are glad you were here with us oh, through the week. Thank you. Thanks for putting up with my rambling. Here. Oh, I learned a lot. I really did. It was great. 
Um, but listeners, if you've liked us, please share us with your friends, share us with your family. Also, go online and find our Facebook page, the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society, or Damsels. You can post links. You can tell me that I'm completely wrong about everything, and here's what the Disney Renaissance is really about. But he's um, not. <laughs> uh, and also, share us with your friends and family. Also, please, if you're going to be on online, go ahead and check out moviesbyminutes.com. It's got a full catalog of the current and some of the upcoming uh, and movies. Past. Yeah, and past movies by minutes that have gone on. If you want insights like what we've provided on other movies, go check it out. I bet there's something on there that you like. Uh, also, most importantly, come back next week. We only have three more minutes to discuss, but come back next week when we will be discussing them and get your last doses of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in the movies by minute format. Then we'll take a little hiatus, and and we'll go on to The Little Mermaid. So I'll get a nice comparison from Snow White to The Little Mermaid. I'll probably talk about it a lot. Uh, Until next week, just whistle while you work.